And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a fantastic weekend and a tremendous Thanksgiving. Hopefully you guys uh, ate a ton of food and spent a ton of time with your family and, and all that good stuff. And uh, I hope you had a good time defying uh, tyrannical governors all over this great country. <laughs> great show today. I was joined by my good friend, Ian Hayworth. It's always a great time talking to Ian. Um, we, we covered a lot of ground. I think you guys will like it. I don't want to give too much away. It, it was a fun show. I think you guys will appreciate it. I don't want to give it anyway. No spoiler alerts today. I think you guys will like it. Uh, before I get to Ian, guys, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I would really appreciate that. All right, without further ado, here's my chat with the great Ian Hayworth. All right, guys, we were here with my brother, Ian Hayworth. Ian, how you doing? How was your Thanksgiving? It was uh, pretty good. I actually spent it in the air flying to uh, to England. So right now I'm joining you. It's kind of the afternoon my time. Usually I'm on the West Coast and you're on the East Coast. So I have to like wake up early. That's how much I like you. And, and right now, you know, it's late afternoon. I'm feeling much more alert than usual for our conversation. So hope you're ready. That means you're bringing the heat today, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so look, man, I want to start here. Um... I know we both saw this article that The Hill published this morning uh, titled, uh, the headline was, The Five Biggest Challenges Facing President-Elect Biden. Um, I didn't read the article, and I know you didn't either. I specifically asked you not to read the article. Uh, Probably just, you know, standard practice when uh, we're referencing The Hill. But um, I came up with my own list of, (laughs) and I know you did as well, of the five largest challenges facing Joe Biden. Oh, first of all, you know, Biden's not technically president-elect yet, but that's neither here nor there. Technicality uh, at this point. But So we're going to do a, a five-to-one countdown. We're going to go back and forth here of our top five challenges facing uh, president-elect Joe Biden. Uh, starting with number five, what is your number five? Coming in at number five, the <laughs> fifth largest challenge facing Joe Biden. What do you got? So I think mine is going to be foreign policy. I know we're going to dig into the weeds of this a little later in the podcast, so I won't go too in-depth. But Joe Biden has been wrong on matters of foreign policy his entire political career. Oh, yeah. Like, there's not there's not one decision he's ever been correct on. All of the people he's bringing back in for foreign policy are people who were professionally wrong for Obama. And so we're about to... Uh, I mean, a lot of this is going to be protected by the media, but anyone paying attention to facts is going to see how close we were to peace in a lot of places and just descend into madness again. So I think that's going to be a real challenge for him, um, especially if people like you and I are able to be loud enough and hold him accountable, because Trump really has succeeded on foreign policy in so many ways. And it's going to be quite obvious how bad Biden and his policies are when we go from near peace in the Middle East to the Middle East on fire again in, in a short period of time. So I think that's going to be one of one challenge for Biden, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Also, I have a feeling our lists are going in two entirely different directions. <laughs> <laughs> Coming in at number five on my list, uh, dogs. Dogs are at number <laughs> five. Uh, Joe Biden broke his, 
<laughs> you're taking already. I mean, we're 30 seconds into the podcast. You're taking this far more seriously than I am, as per usual. <laughs> uh, but Joe Biden uh, broke his foot over the weekend playing with his dog. Um, yeah, obviously, dogs are Republicans, so I, I think Joe needs to watch his back. I thought um, Joe Biden was boasting about the fact he was going to bring a cat into the office, too. I mean, that was one of the uh, one of the <laughs> stories the media were most excited about. I mean, who, we were talking about foreign policy. All right, let's just be talking about the, the president's pets. That's what really matters. <laughs> I mean, look, if his vindictive dog already broke one of his feet uh, with no cat, I can't imagine how angry they will become if there's a cat in the White House. Uh, what you got, number four? So number four will be the blue wave that never happened. I think like Joe Biden, again, protected by the media, spent really one to two years at least trying to jump between the moderate and the radical wing. Uh, I think bringing Kamala Harris was another attempt at that. But the fact is that Democrats are, are ready to tear themselves apart. They are far from united. You've got people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez louder than ever calling for all of these insane policies. I think uh, you and I were talking on Twitter earlier today, Ilan Omar basically presenting that the solution to all of our problems is just giving people money. Like right. the, <laughs> the solution to fixing the economy is to burn the economy down to the ground. <laughs> And so the Democrats have to solve this problem. They can't go another four years just claiming to be moderate. Uh, and so that's going to be a real challenge for Biden. I think it's one he's going to fail at, honestly, because they have to go one way or the other. And the stronger, younger crowd are the radical ones. You know, it's funny. I keep expecting the Democratic coalition to fracture. And I mean, the DNC is just they're so much more powerful than the Republican mm -hmm. Party is in terms of keeping their people in line. I mean, they, you know, Bernie Sanders can complain, AOC can complain, Ilhan Omar can complain, and then they always end up falling in line, right? And, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we keep predicting that their coalition's going to fall apart, but I think it really could over the next four years. I mean, now that the Democrats are in power, and if AOC and Bernie Sanders and all these, these radicals notice that they aren't, actually able to get any of their socialist policies through, I think they're going to become more and more frustrated. I think we really could see it bubbling over more so than, you know, when they were the opposition party. Well, I think especially if we look back to 2016, the way a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters felt, they felt truly portrayed. And, and in many ways, they should feel that way. Right. And that was certainly a factor in Trump winning. And so if they see themselves as part of the reason Biden won and then continue to see themselves as portrayed, I think that could have real ramifications, not just for Biden, but for the left generally, because you could you could easily see a third party situation. You could see people being thrown under the bus. You could also see Kamala Harris just take over in 10 minutes time and just drag the Demo uh, Democratic Party kicking and streaming to the far left. So we really don't know which direction it's going to go. It's just something's got to break eventually, I think. I mean, I. I really hope it comes out that uh, it was actually Kamala Harris in a dog suit that broke uh, old Joe's foot. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know, man. Wouldn't put it past her. Going a different direction with my number four, I I'm going with powerful memes. Powerful memes. I think are going to be a major problem for Biden. Beto O'Rourke, I don't know if you missed this, but Beto O'Rourke uh, last month said that Republicans are dangerous due to our powerful memes, um, which I guess is a funny way to put it, but... I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, we're way better at, at, at memes than the left. So, uh, I mean, I, I take that as a compliment. Powerful memes, indeed. That's a definite compliment. I mean, the fact is the leftists aren't very funny. No. You know, they dominate the, the entertainment field, but they're just not very funny people because no. they 
find it impossible to really laugh at themselves. And when they laugh at others, it's not it's not like a lighthearted way. I think a lot of the way people on the right tend to mock people on the left is fairly lighthearted, fairly tongue in cheek. But when the left do it, it's, oh, they're a Nazi. Right. Like, there's no real laughs when the word Nazi is coming out of your mouth. <laughs> no. And so I'm not surprised. I mean, they're also so memeable. I don't even know if that's a word. But, you know, Beto O'Rourke is famous for failing up. Stacey Abrams is famous for failing up. Nancy Pelosi is famous for staggering around, semi-drunk, boasting about her $20,000 fridge. Like these people are so memeable yeah. that they should really try harder at making it <laughs> making it more difficult for us, honestly. Yeah, I mean, if they had all the same policies, they were just a little bit more self-aware. It wouldn't be so easy for us. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the complete <laughs> lack of self-awareness is what makes the meme so powerful in the words of mm-hmm. uh, Bader O'Rourke, in my opinion. What do you got coming in at number three? So number three is like a, a bit of a double-edged sword. I think COVID-19 is one of these things that the left have treated Biden as if he's like the second or third or whatever coming of Christ, because I know Barack Obama is more likely the second. So let's say Joe Biden is going to be the third coming, but for COVID, just vote for Biden and everything is going to be fine. And I think the fact that this is a global issue, it's only so long that the media can really cover up for it, because if Biden is going to continue with this wear a mask, force everyone to lock down nonsense, the outcome is going to continue where small businesses are going to shut and people are going to realize that this is not Trump's fault. I think that's one of the most disgusting lies told by the media is that COVID-19 is Trump's fault and everything was because of Trump. And Biden is either going to have to open everything up or at least encourage his Democratic governors and mayors to open everything up, or he's going to have to really follow what he said he would do. And I think that'll blow up in his face. So it's it's hard politically because I want everything to open up, but I'm also a little concerned that Biden is going to use this as a win to almost prove that religious view that voting for a Democrat is a way to keep yourself alive. And so it's going to be going to be interesting to see what strategy he holds and more likely his administration holds. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, coronavirus isn't a partisan issue. And then, you know, even when, you know, these these vaccines are circulated and, and you know, the virus goes away. I actually think it was the New York Times that published this, which is shocking this morning, that uh, one third of small businesses in New York and New Jersey are gone forever. A third Mm -hmm. of small businesses shut down. So it's like even when the virus is gone and, and, you know, there's herd immunity and and everybody's taking a vaccine, most Americans are employed by small businesses. That, that that's millions of people out of work. Yes. Okay. So those businesses that they those small businesses that they work for or that they poured their life savings, their blood, sweat, and tears into, they're gone, regardless of a vaccine. So and and people are going to remember these were Democratic governors doing this to their family, doing this to their businesses, and that's not going to just go away because Biden's elected. I mean, it's it's nonsense. I also think this is something that Republicans really need to continue to drive drive hard. I think it's. It's something I worry about a little bit, that people are too focused on Trump right now, like talking about whether Trump will run in 2024 if he doesn't win this year, kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, can we not we talk about that be... for like two years, please? My goodness. <laughs> I know, right? Come I on, know, what are you doing right? to us? What are you doing to podcasters? <laughs> like, come on, me and Ian and our friends, like, we cannot deal with this yet. Like, give us some room to breathe, guys, please. <laughs> need need a time to relax. But we need to be punishing the left for the nonsense of things like Andrew Cuomo being nominated or awarded an Emmy for his performance on television. Oh my goodness. Like this is what the right need to be focusing on because it is beyond absurd. It is disgusting that a man can uniquely be responsible for tens of thousands of deaths that they're still covering up in many places. 
and the left cheer him on. I think if the Republican Party cannot use that to their advantage, I know that sounds callous and cruel, but that's just the nature of politics. Right. If they cannot present themselves as the alternative to the utter lies that the Democratic Party shoved down our throats, then really that's indicative of the fact that the Republican Party don't really deserve to be in power if they can't win that battle. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, coming in at number three, I'm going to go with reason. Um, just reason generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look, like I get there's a lot of people, specifically leftists, but even people on the right who are suffering from pretty severe Stockholm syndrome right now and are more than happy to just bend over and take it from the federal government. Um, but look, this is still America. I think people will wake up. Um, and, you know, kind of piggybacking off of what you just said, the Biden administration is going to have a tough time using COVID to control people's lives and and implement, you know, socialist policies after everybody is vaccinated and the virus is gone. Right. So I think just reason, the ability to think <laughs> is going to be a real issue, man. When, mm-hmm. when Dr. Fauci is still on TV in a year telling everybody to wear a mask, I think people are going to be like, why? 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 I mean, like, if you, if you are vaccinated, there is absolutely no reason to ever wear a mask again unless you are a catcher and you play baseball. OK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you are painting your house. OK. And it, it, there's just no reason. So I, I, people are going to people are going to call BS, man. Like, I, I don't really understand why, except for this just visceral desire to control people, just this lust for power. I don't know why these people on the left are saying that you're going to have to socially distance and you're never going to be able to go to a bar again and you'll be wearing masks for five years. It's That doesn't make any sense. We have three vaccines coming next month that are between 90 and 95% effective. I mean, herd immunity is going to be reached this spring more than likely. And the left is going to have a real hard time controlling people after that. Well, also, let's not forget vaccines that Donald Trump said would come by the end of the year and everyone just scoffed and laughed. Right. And so yet another thing that I mean, I didn't really take it that seriously, too. And shame on me for for not taking it seriously. Something else, uh, something else I've I've spoken about a few times that I think is a point people really need to realize about the left is that it's very easy to kind of embrace the slightly conspiratorial notion that everything the left do is through is through malice and deep thought and in and some kind of malicious intelligence. A lot of it is through stupidity. Like yes. they are inept people who have never done anything except be in government. Yeah. And when they see something like COVID, the the objectively realistic thing to say is that it is a global pandemic that we don't know much about. And it's going to have to run its course to some extent. Yes, there are some things we can do, like we can put together a vaccine. We can try and understand the virus and know who's vulnerable and protect those people. But there's really nothing we can do. Like mask mandates have been shown not to work that well. Lockdowns have disastrous consequences. But politicians, especially those on the left, are scared of reality. They're scared of looking their voters in the face and saying, look, there's nothing much we can do about this. We live in a world where we are mortal. There are always things that are going to be out there to hurt us to some extent. What we need to do is just accept this reality. They are deeply afraid of reality. And until people don't understand that about politicians, we're not going to stop looking to them for answers. I don't look to Democratic or Republican politicians for answers about how best to live my life. That's not who we should be looking towards. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But I mean, the size and scope of the federal government never would have reached this point if politicians weren't extremely successful in convincing mm-hmm. the public that government is magic <laughs> and can alter reality itself. You know, like people would not accept a, you know, a, a, 
a 13% state tax in the state of California if they hadn't been brainwashed into thinking that, you know, Gavin Newsom is some kind of God who can change the weather, for instance. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I think we have a lot of work to do in, in deprogramming the American people, unfortunately. And it's just it's hard to do. I think it's going to be a generational problem because especially with the, say, the subtle eradication of things like religion, things like local community, there's not much left except for government. People always look. I'm, I'm sure you hear it all the time. And when when there's a problem, say, in your local community, the first words out of most people's mouths are, well, what's the government going to do about it? Right. That should not be our response, really, ever. That should be our last response, not our first response. Yeah, I, one of the creepiest things I've ever heard in my entire life, I, I can't remember if it was, I think it was the 2008 Democratic National Convention when Barack Obama said, it was some, I'm paraphrasing, something along the lines of, like, the federal government is the one thing we all have in common. Ugh. Or something like that. It's like, oh, that is gross. That's evil. I mean, that is like some creepy, evil, dystopian nonsense. But yeah, yeah, I definitely think you're right there. So what do you got uh, coming in at number two? So number two is going to be the intersectional racism, sexism nonsense that the left have That's been using to attack Trump. That's a good one. Yeah, I think Biden is in many ways the the opposite of everything they claim to promote. Like he's said openly racist things. He is the man who created the crime bill that they now condemn. And so it's hilariously ironic in many ways. But there's only so long that you can go pretending that a lot of these things aren't true. I mean, he's been accused of sexual assault in the same way that Donald Trump has been accused in many ways by the left's own metrics. Tara Reid's accusations are um, more reliable than many thrown at Trump or Brett Kavanaugh, people like that. People, I I hope, I I truly hope, people are going to wake up to this nonsense that the left don't care about racism, the left don't care about sexism, the left don't care about sexual assault. All they do is see it as a a weapon to use against conservatives. Otherwise, they they simply don't care when it occurs on their side. So I think Biden will hopefully struggle because he is what they claim to hate, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, you are absolutely right. And it's just hilarious, man. In the the, the anti-cop, you know, movement going on, you know, after the the George Floyd death and all this, the Democrats elect Joe Biden, the offer of the 94 crime bill, Kamala Harris, <laughs> a, a crooked cop who hid evidence that would have exonerated a man on death row. OK, I mean, this is some truly evil stuff. And then and then uh, it's been floated that uh, Rahm Emanuel, former uh, Obama chief of staff and Chicago mayor will be the secretary of transportation. I don't really know why he's qualified for that, but you know, whatever. Uh, I mean, <laughs> they could just get rid of the department of transportation who, who really cares. But, um, I mean, Rahm Emanuel, <laughs> when he was mayor of Chicago, <laughs> covered up a murder of a black teenager by a cop, covered up the evidence. And, and we're, tra- we're talking about a real murder, not one of these, like, you know, a guy shoots at a cop and gets shot for his trouble. We're talking like an actual cover-up of a murder of a black teenager. So it's like, I mean, my goodness, you know, of all the 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 animosity towards the police and stuff like that, the Democrats elected like the worst the worst people. I mean, these are the worst people on criminal justice issues you could possibly imagine. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't. It's my my goodness. I I can't I can't imagine what's going to happen on this fight amongst leftists going forward. Man, it's going to be incredible to watch. Well, I think what's what's amazing and what should give a lot of people on the right hope is the way that a lot of minority voting blocks, which I, I really hate to talk about this topic anyway, but it, it's 
relevant here, a lot of minority voting blocs are actually like voted for Trump. Right. Like he did very well in a, in sort of with the black vote, with the Hispanic vote. Yeah. Because people are individuals. And yes. I think a lot of people in these communities are sick and tired of being treated by the left as victims. Like the, by nature of your skin color or your gender or your social situation, you are a victim for which the only solution is Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, who 10 minutes ago were throwing your brother and sisters in jail. It's it's not surprising. Everyone, like all these people are individuals. Their skin color has nothing to do with their character or what they want for themselves or their family. And again, the conservative party and um, the conservative party and the Republican Party need to realize this, that this is a way to reach people. People are sick and tired of being viewed for their skin color first. It's a reversal of many of the good direction um, directional things that America were doing. So again, if the Republican Party don't capitalize on this, they don't deserve to be in power again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. My number, my number two is a little different. See, I mean, I, we totally took different tactics in making this, <laughs> this list, by the way, it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to go with words. I'm going to go with words. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Joe Biden has lost the ability to use words. Hey, look, I, obviously we both predicted that Trump would win, uh, about a month ago, um, on this podcast. And obviously we were wrong, but I think the main reason why I predicted Donald Trump was going to win the election is because, like, I just couldn't picture a President Joe Biden. Like, if you just can't picture something, it's just you yeah. can't force yourself to believe that something's going to happen because it just seems so unbelievable. It seems so foreign. And I, I guess I just couldn't believe that the American public would elect a man with Alzheimer's, but they did. Um, and, look, I, I just don't—historically, uh, it's been an issue— um, if you're a word world leader that can't speak um, your native language anymore, mm-hmm. um, so it's going to be. I, I really don't know how Joe Biden navigates the presidency for four years with the inability to form coherent sentences. I just don't. Like I, I still can't believe it. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> it's like I'm yeah. trying to picture a meeting between Biden and, and Vladimir Putin, and I just can't. Like I can't visualize it because we've just never seen anything like it before like we haven't i mean i guess since you know woodrow wilson was in a coma for the last year of his presidency and his wife ran the country you know like we just haven't seen anything like this <laughs> joe biden has lost the ability to speak english so the second uh you know number two on my list of, of, of problems facing a potential biden administration would be words specifically words in the english language so that's actually a really good segue number one for me was the issue of time and Biden's that like, clear decline. Right. And so I think um, I think I'm just going to combine my number one with your number two here and that Biden has been in decline for a long time. It's not like the last month he's had a few gaffes. He's been gaffing all his life. But he, as you say, he is clearly in severe mental decline, almost certainly has Alzheimer's or dementia or some form of mental incapacity that is clearly going to affect his performance. What I worry about is that Biden is not going to make four years. And even if he is technically the president, he is not going to be the president. It is going to be Kamala Harris and his administration running the show. And Biden is really along for the ride. I mean, the lights are on and no one's at home with Biden. It's a little terrifying. I think, honestly, my hot take for this is that in a year or two, Biden is going to retire and the media will applaud him for his bravery and for stepping aside and letting the next generation of American politics enter with someone who finally looks like America and then Kamala Harris will come in grinning, grinning and cackling and someone who didn't even 
win a single vote in the uh, <laughs> in the US primary. And she bre- she dropped out before the first primary vote, for goodness sake. She is going to become <laughs> president of the United States. It's it's terrifying. It really is terrifying. And I'm truly worried about President Kamala Harris. And honestly, I think that's what we're going to get. Joe Biden is going to be president in name only. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Let, let's since we're since we're so accurate in our predictions, <laughs> we're always <just> so <laughs> on the nose with our predictions on this podcast. Let's go on the record. Uh, how long do you think Joe Biden will be president? I think he'll make at least the first year because, I mean, he's I don't think he's that he's not physically unwell. I think this is yeah. all mental right now. Yeah. So he's going to make at least the first year. The first year will will zip by because there's going to be a lot happening. Yeah. I could imagine before. I actually think they'll wait until after the 2020, uh, 2022 midterms, because I think having Kamala Harris there would drive a lot of people to the polls in a way that Joe Biden wouldn't. Yeah. I imagine the second 2022 is out of the way, especially if they maintain the House, which I pray doesn't happen, then it'll be all changes because then they'll have two years of Kamala Harris with glowing media coverage as the incumbent in 2024. Whereas I don't think they want her running as a as a candidate in 2024. I think there's a huge advantage uh, to running as an incumbent, which I think they will want Kamala Harris to have because she's deeply unpopular. I, I think... If we called the election today, Kamala Harris is basically any Republican, any mainstream Republican, she would lose. Right. They're going to need to do something special to give her a chance. Yeah, I actually I think you're spot on with that prediction. Obviously, we're we're probably going to be wrong because we're always wrong. But, <laughs> I expect to be wrong. But that that's exactly my thoughts. I, I think it would hurt the Democrats in the midterms if Biden retires or, or you know resigns before the midterms i think that just isn't a good look for the democratic party so i think they'll try to keep him around until after the midterms but i think i think the democrat the dnc will have their eyes on kamala harris's approval numbers they'll they'll kind of see they'll wait and see how the american people react to her insane witch cackling on tv all the time <laughs> and they'll kind of like assess things in a couple years like you know, should Biden resign and Harris take over, you know, with enough time to ingratiate herself to the American people before 2024? Or should, you know, Biden just announce, I- I'm sticking around for four years. I'm, I will be a one term president um, and just make it an open primary. You know, I think it'll it'll all come down to Democratic leaders, their assessment on if Kamala Harris can actually win. In 2024, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the bottom line, because all they care about is power. They don't care about the country. They don't even care about policy. Yeah. They they just want to wield power. So it's you know whatever it's going to help them win in 2024. I think that's what they're going to do. Number one yeah. on my list of uh, of uh, inconveniences for <laughs> for the the Biden administration. Number one has got to be radical Islamic terrorism. I mean mm-hmm. the left. And just about everybody who's rumored to join the Biden cabinet. Uh, believes that if we just screw over Israel and give Iran tons of money, then radical Muslim terrorist groups will just stop killing people. Um, obviously, that's insane. Uh, that's been debunked over and over. Um, and the Biden administration is going to step on that rake once again, and it's not going to be good. And I think a lot of people are going to die. And it sucks. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't have a joke. I don't have a punchline or anything, man. I just think. Um, I think this administration is going to blow up the Middle East because we've given the president unilateral power to use the military and to decide Middle East policy for some reason. 
Obviously, that's not constitutional, but we've been doing it for decades now, so I, I doubt that's going to change. And I mean, th- this administration, the Biden team, uh, th- these people's feelings towards Iran and Israel uh, are backwards. Um, and I know we're going to transition. We're going to start talking about uh, foreign policy for a little bit here. But yeah, man, the terrorism issue, the Middle East issues, uh, going to be a huge problem for Joe Biden going forward. Well, especially as he's just going to signal a return to normalcy, which is the Middle East on fire. That is the normal that a lot of the Democratic establishment just view as the status quo, really. Right. I think one of the most underrated and incredible things that the Trump administration was able to achieve, again, something I laughed at and I thought was a joke, was that they truly were on a path to uh, peace in the Middle East, something that has been one of these things that, you know, you say every year, oh, it's going to be decades away, if not hundreds of years away. It's something that could never happen because the Trump administration truly flipped the script on how we approach the issue of peace in the Middle East. Yes. The Democratic Party and really the the global mainstream view on how we achieve peace in the Middle East has been to bring Israel and, and the Palestinians to the table as equals, as if they are equally invested in peace and then hash some deal out. We have seen in modern history that really the Palestinian leadership have zero. I mean, maybe the Palestinian people do, but the Palestinian leadership have zero interest in peace. Right. You've had multiple leaders turn down multiple opportunities for peace. They have no interest whatsoever. You've got people like Rashida Tlaib, who are (laughs) members of Congress in the United States, who hold views shared by a lot of these people that basically Israel has to be destroyed. It has to be a one state solution where the Palestinians take ownership of a country that was really never theirs in the first place. Yeah, the, Trump administration, the Trump administration came in and basically just leapfrogged the Palestinian um, leaders. And now we're on a path to peace. It really is quite incredible to watch. Yeah, I mean, we've made more progress towards peace in the Middle East in the last four years. I mean, specifically the last two years than mm-hmm. in centuries, literally centuries. And the Biden team is determined to destroy that. <laughs> they're, they're determined to destroy that progress. I mean, and that's the funny part about the, and it's it's the foreign policy establishment. It's not just the left. Um, but the, the, the worst part about the establishment, you know, Bush, Obama, Biden foreign policy is that, like you said, the Trump presidency emphatically discredited them. Okay. Mm-hmm. These people have been completely discredited. They, they were all proven wrong time and time again, and they just don't care. They'll just lie and keep the war machine going. I mean, there's nothing worse than somebody who will just insist they're correct when every single piece of evidence available proves they're wrong. I mean, that's just part of, just generally speaking, man, that's part of being an adult. Okay, That's just part of being an adult in this world is admitting when you're wrong. I mean, just being proven wrong over and over and just saying, nuh-uh, no, 2 plus 2 is 5, the sky is green. I mean, that, that's literally a child's view of the world. That is a childish worldview. And these people will not change. They're never going to change. Well, it's the same childish view that views Iran as a bully you can pay off. I mean, just anyone think back to when you were in elementary school and the kid who liked punching other kids in the face. If you just gave him a cookie, is he going to punch you in the face or he's going to eat the cookie and then <laughs> carry on punching you in the face? And they, they don't understand. They, they seriously have no understanding of how power works in the world. And how you deal with people like Iran, certainly not to enable them. That is what Obama did. Obama made Iran a regional superpower. He allowed them to continue funding terror across the world, leading to countless lives lost due to terrorism. And in many ways, inadvertently created this peace process by 
<laughs> providing the um, Arab states with an enemy to rally with Israel against. It's kind of funny that Obama's utter ineptitude brought us peace in the Middle East in many ways. But let's not forget, as you said, it's the establishment issue of John Kerry sat there lecturing us all on how peace will never be achieved unless the Palestinians are at the table. And guess what? They're not at the table and we were achieving peace. John Kerry doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. But as you said, they're all children who just will never accept that they're wrong because, God forbid, their their arrogant facade is cracked even the slightest amount. It's just the perfect marriage of being wrong all the time and extreme confidence. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. And look, last I believe on Friday, um, one of Iran's top nuclear scientists working on developing nuclear bombs uh, was assassinated. Uh, in in Iran, uh, more than likely by by our buddies over in Israel, um, and the Biden team condemned it. <laughs> okay, they condemned it. Okay, John Brennan, former head of the CIA, called it a criminal act. It's like, dude, look, man, at a certain point, you're playing for the other team. It's like, I mean, like John Brennan is John Brennan's an enemy of of the West, is he not? Like, I mean, I, I don't know how many times you can side with terrorists before you're just an evil person. Like, I, these people have never took a step back and even considered for one second that they might be the bad guys. I'm also not going to take an opinion on assassinating anyone pretty seriously from the CIA who no, have been no. known to mm. implement their policies through blowing people's brains out. So I'm not sure he really has too much of a voice on this subject. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look— and. You know, Barack Obama and Joe Biden twice ran on ending the war in Afghanistan in, mm-hmm. in 2008 and 2012. They ran on ending the war in Afghanistan. The Biden team is bragging about how they're not going to end the war in Afghanistan. I mean, it's it's bizarre world, man. Let anything Trump does, they will do the opposite, even if it means getting American men and women killed in Afghanistan. Okay, it, like they don't. It's insane. It's insane. We've we've been in Afghanistan for almost 20 years. These these people are bragging that they're going to reverse Trump's orders to pull the troops out. It's like, do these people hear themselves? Do, do, they, like, do they hear themselves? Or do they not have I, to? They do, they do not have to be self-aware because the press will shield them no matter what. I mean, imagine if the parties were reversed here. I think that's exactly what it is. I think if you live in a bubble long enough where you're surrounded by political sycophants and you're surrounded by an adoring media who will back you up on anything, I think it's probably quite difficult, unless you're quite a special character, to really ever reflect on whether or not you could be wrong. And this is this is a world Biden has existed in for decades. It's in a world someone like John Kerry has existed in decades. And you've got someone like Barack Obama, for example, who did you see his appearance with Stephen um, Stephen Colbert? Who it's pathetic. I mean, I've never seen someone kiss someone's ass on live television quite as much as that. And it's it's sickening. But if that's the world they live in, then that's truly the world they think is real. But what's so surprising about something like Afghanistan as well is it's, again, just the lack of understanding reality. Pick up any military textbook and you will see that basically no one has ever really succeeded in terms of military incursions in Afghanistan. No one has ever come out of there doing very well. And so if you want to withdraw, then I think there are arguments for and against withdrawing. But it's the fact that no, none of those arguments are really an issue for the left. It's just about doing the opposite of what Trump did. It's not we want to stay in there because we think it's the right thing to do. It's we want to pull out because Trump wanted, like we want to stay in rather because Trump wants to pull out. That is a very dangerous way to do any kind of policy, let alone foreign policy where people's lives are truly at stake. Yeah, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives are at stake. 
And look, one more thought before I let you go, Ian. You know, we, we've been warning people, you and I, guys like you and I have been warning people since the primaries that if you vote for Biden, you're not getting Biden. You're getting the left, the radical left. You're getting Bernie Sanders. And that's true. I mean, Bernie Sanders loves Joe Biden's economic policies, which should terrify every single one of you. But Biden isn't just wearing it isn't it isn't just Bernie Sanders in a Biden mask. It's also Dick Cheney in, in a Biden mask. I mean, look, man, when Bernie Sanders loves your economic policies and Dick Cheney loves your foreign policy proposals. My goodness. Well done, America. You just voted for Bernie Sanders and Dick Cheney. I mean, what is what does AOC think about that? Heck, what does Bernie Sanders think about that? You know what I mean? Like, he's getting Dick Cheney-like foreign policy. I mean, this is—the American people just elected the worst of both worlds. Like, it (laughs) is—it's astounding how Biden was able to hide his radicalism on on both sides. You know, it's—I don't know, man. If if you have the approval of Bernie Sanders and Dick Cheney, you are not on the right side of history. Well, it's just also a complete lack of ideological consistency. This is not really a vote for any consistent political position. It's just a vote for normalcy in the establishment on both sides, where you're just going to give social and cultural issues to the radical left who control most elements of that area anyway. And then in terms of foreign policy, you're going to give it to people who have professionally failed at it for decades as well. It's, I think it showed a, and part of it I do blame Trump for. I think Trump failed in a lot of ways. And I'm sure we'll talk about that another another time. But it showed a real lack of confidence and ambition on the side of the American people who did vote for Biden, because a lot of this was obvious. Right. Like Biden has done nothing except be in government since he was 30 years old, 29 years old, in fact. He's done nothing in his life. He has no real experience beyond the experience of being in government. And he's failed, yeah. failed for decades. As we said before, wrong on every single foreign policy position he's ever held. That's the person you gave the keys to. It's, yeah, it's um, it's it's very worrying. I think what what I worry about most is let's just remember with when Obama was in power, ISIS were raging across the Middle East. They had territory that was just unimaginable in size and doing unimaginable things to people. Under Trump, ISIS we don't talk about them anymore. They don't exist. They're mm-hmm. gone. And um, I don't think it's going to be very long under um, under Biden before we start talking about either ISIS or just the next version, because that's the reality of the world that Biden will will let back in. Yeah. I mean, I hope you're wrong, but you're not. Yeah, it's it's frustrating stuff, man. And I I, I am terrified for the future of the Middle East, man. I I really am, especially after all the progress that we were finally making. Um, And Joe Biden's going to do everything in his power to undermine it. So. Mm -hmm. Scary stuff. Ian, my brother, we just ended on a, a terrifyingly <laughs> low note <laughs> again. Sorry, folks. <laughs> anyway, Ian, thanks so much for doing this, man. I'm sure we'll do it again soon. Where can everybody follow you and check out uh, your show, which I highly recommend? Yeah, so you can follow me on all social media at I-G-H-A-W-O-R-T-H. Uh, you can head over to com. That's my website where you can find links to um, all of my YouTube channels, things like that. Um, I also write for the Daily Wire. I have a piece pretty much every day. So head over there, check me out. And yeah, thanks as always for having me on. I'm sorry we ended on the note of Islamic <laughs> terrorism. Hopefully we should, we should end on something nicer next time. We should just agree in advance to end on something positive. Absolutely. We should have ended on the, the dogs uh, 
exacting their vengeance upon Joe Biden. <laughs> we really didn't think that went through. I appreciate you, my brother. Uh, everybody follow Ian. He is great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.